Father, I pray that in your grace and in your goodness, you will once again, as the men gather next weekend for the men's retreat, you will lead and guide and encourage and strengthen and build us up in you. Strengthen our faith in you. And to that end, may this, our final message on Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith, may you work through this which you have for us to draw us to you, to build up our faith as we seek to apply it to the challenges of living lives in this fallen world. May you be glorified and honored in all things because of what you have done for us in Christ and how you have enabled us to live out that which you have provided for us. We pray in his name. Amen. So our last consideration here in Hebrews 11 had to do with Moses and after Moses the examples of faith in this chapter are many and they come in rapid succession beginning at verse 30 by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days the account of this of course is found in the book of Joshua he is the one who carried it out as Moses' successor, found in, in his book in the sixth chapter. Joshua was successful because he trusted God as Moses had trusted God. God changes his workmen, but not his principles of operation. But what odd and strange principles of operation took place in this example? God told his people, the Israelites, to march around the city of Jericho for seven days. Nothing was required of them militarily. But psychologically, this call to faithfulness required an enormous amount of courage. Marching around the city walls in this way must certainly have been embarrassing in the context in which they live must have been embarrassing to Israel because this is not at all the way in which cities were conquered the entire effort would have seemed utterly preposterous to the inhabitants of Jericho and perhaps to many if not most of the Israelites, the difference being that they did trust in God by faith and they acted on faith even though what God asked them to do seemed silly almost. Foes are conquered by force. City walls in those days were eliminated by bombardment. Gates were smashed by battering ram. Troops were taken by sword. But not so Jericho. God called upon his people, Israel, to conquer Jericho simply by faith in him. You know, it's often easier to fight than to have faith. If we fight, we will at least have a certain respect from the world. Even if we lose the fight. But faith always looks foolish to the eyes of the world. 
The life of faith is evidenced by a life of obedience to God's word, even when obeying God seems absurd. The taking of Jericho was the result of an act of faith, the faith of those who thought not of what they could do or what they could accomplish, but who thought of what God would do for them. One of the most amazing things about Joshua chapter 6 is that if you read through that account, not a single word of doubt or complaint is recorded. The Israelites believed Joshua's report from the Lord, and they immediately began to prepare for marching. And for a full week, they faithfully marched. A milestone of faith in the life of Israel. R. Kent Hughes, among commentators, has called it the greatest corporate act of faith in Israel's history. As the Israelites encircled Jericho, the Canaanites saw nothing but a ragtag band of people carrying a golden box. The Israelites, however, saw the unseen. Their focus was on God, and they knew God's special presence was with them. That's always faith's focus. God is present, and God is completely dependable. That's the focus that brings down enemy walls. Verse 31. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. Well, here we have a most unexpected figure of faith, a harlot named Rahab, featured in Joshua chapter 2, also in Joshua chapter 6. She was the one person in Jericho who came to the assistance of the spies, the Hebrew spies, when they scouted out the land and agreed to help them. Appearing again in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 5, Matthew 1, verse 5, she was a heroine of faith. Rahab was not motivated by courage or self-protection or even some political calculation. She was motivated by faith. She trusted in the God of Israel not only to fulfill his promise to his people, but also to protect her from the destruction of Jericho. In a time of danger, she identified herself with the people of Yahweh and believed his promises, even though she was not an Israelite. Hers is truly, therefore, a faith worth emulating. How significant that the final person to receive individual commentary in the list of the champions of faith here in Hebrews 11 is a Gentile woman who was a prostitute. Her faith even involved a lie for which she was commended and still considered righteous, James 2 and verse 25. There was a miracle related to Rahab when the walls of Jericho collapsed. Rahab's home, sitting on the wall, remained intact. That single, untouched home rising out of the debris of Jericho was a monument to this remarkable woman's faith. You know, there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians, 
who will complain that they know really very little about the Lord. They know relatively little about his word. And they will often make that their excuse for not doing what is right, for not witnessing, for not sharing their faith with others. Well, Rahab knew very little spiritual truth. She acted, however, on what she knew. She knew simply that God had delivered Israel from Egypt, that he had opened the Red Sea, and that during the wilderness wanderings, he had defeated Israel's enemies, which you may think is knowing a lot. But on the other hand, she really knew very little about God, but again, acted on it. Another excuse that many people make is thinking, I'm too bad to be saved, or I'm too bad to be used by God. Consider Rahab, an idolatrous harlot, a pagan fornicator, who through faith was used mightily by God. Is there some miracle perhaps that you need in your life? I don't know your circumstances in detail perhaps, but maybe you feel like your back is up against some wall, some Red Sea, verse 29. Maybe the angry hoofbeats of an approaching army you feel like are thundering down upon you. Count on the Lord to see you through as these did and stood largely alone. Count on the Lord to provide a way of passage and escape. His specialty is parting seas. No matter how deep, no matter how wide or turbulent, his specialty is bringing down walls. Maybe there are walls in your life. Some resistance at work. Maybe it's just the wall of stony silence from someone you thought was a friend. Look to the Lord to penetrate such defensive walls. He specializes in bringing them down. The key is faith in him. He can restore your worth in the eyes of others. He even specializes in helping harlots and rebuilding walls of ruined reputations. Don't be intimidated by the Hall of Fame list of the faithful here in Hebrews 11. Every person in the family of God, as Chuck Swindoll once said, is just P-O-H, plain old humanity. We're just people in plain paper wrapping. If you see those in Hebrews 11 as a list of the super spiritual as a list of the special heroes of faith, then you are misunderstanding. The life of faith is normal for the follower of God. Struggling, bumbling Christians like me, like any of us, we're just like those folks in Hebrews chapter 11. We're called to live boldly by faith, and God supplies that boldness if we will just trust in him. God calls us with all of our habits, with all of our hang-ups, with all of our warts, with all of our worries. He calls us, nevertheless, to action. Of course, you and I are inadequate, but so have been all of those who ever evidenced the grace of God. 
Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace. This is clear in the next group of the faithful. Notice verse 32 and following. And what more shall I say? For, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by righteousness obtained promises, oh, sorry, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign enemies or armies to flight. These are all examples of faith for us, and yet every single one of them imperfect, just as we are imperfect. Gideon, remember, demanded signs from God and led Israel into sin when he made an ephod. Samson was sexually promiscuous and broke his covenant with God. Jephthah vowed to sacrifice his own daughter. David committed adultery and then tried to cover it up by arranging the death of the woman's husband. Samuel stood firm against idolatry and firm against immorality and fearlessly spoke the truth to anyone, anywhere, anytime. And yet, Samuel lapsed into carelessness in domestic matters. All flawed, all plenty sinful, but they are not remembered for their flaws, but for their faith. They all fell, fell short, but their lives were ultimately marked by their faith, which is highlighted in verses 33 and 34. For all the shortcomings, they each conquered by faith, and they each serve as examples of remarkable trust in God. And so may we, for all of our failures and sins and shortcomings, we too, by faith, may serve as a remarkable example of trust in God. In every saint, in every believer, there is always that which is reprehensible. Nevertheless, even though we are all terribly imperfect and incomplete, our faith does not cease to please the Lord. The marvel of that is amazing. For all the wrong that we do, all the sins that we commit, when we act in faith, this does not cease to please the Lord. So don't be broken. Don't be discouraged. Confess your sins. Repent of them. And go on in faith. God is not done using you. Hebrews 11, verses 32 to 34, shows us that faith involves a willingness to stand alone, facing immense odds for the sake of loyalty to God. Faith is honored in God's minority rather than in the earth's majority. Then consider verse 35 and following. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, 
ill-treated. So by faith, some received back their dead loved ones. The widow of Zarephath's son, for instance, 1 Kings 17. The Shunammite's son, 2 Kings 4. Others were tortured. Through faith, God frequently works miracles and acts of providence to bring practical, earthly help and deliverance to his people. He has done it often, and he continues to do it. But not always. In many cases, God doesn't work a miracle to physically rescue his people from miseries, from sufferings. These things are often not diminished, but endured by faith. Faith, you see, says, believing in God is better than what life can give me now. And it's better than what death can take from me later. What faith does believe is that God is sufficient even in torture. Does faith say, if God loved me, he would get me out of this? No. Faith believes in the resurrection of believers which is better than the miracle of escape from present suffering. And better than the kind of resurrection experienced by those women's sons who return to life only to die again. In other words, faith is completely in love with all that God will be for us beyond the grave. Faith loves God more than life. Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than job, more than retirement plans, more than spiritual ministry, more than great vacations, more than building a dream house, more than making the first million, more than making multiple millions. Faith loves God above all else. Faith says, whether God handles me tenderly or whether God gives me over to torture, I love him. The great challenge here in Hebrews 11 is to cultivate and to spread a death-defying passion for God. Our aim as a church must be to cultivate and spread an unshakable confidence that God is better than what life can give us or what death can take from us. If God will be glorified by delivering his people, he will. If God will be glorified by not delivering his people, he won't. We cannot conclude from a lack of deliverance 
that that somehow means a lack of faith on the part of his children. Those who are faithful to Christ are those who, verse 38, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Counted righteous by their faith, they were despised. They were considered unfit by the world because of their devotion to God. When in reality, the world, because of its unbelief, was not worthy of them. We're not specifically being called in this text, even in its application. We're not being specifically called to die like they did. But we are called to trust in the Lord like they did, which may mean suffering or death like them. The early church father, Justin Martyr, Martyr, echoed this kind of faith. Upon seeing the place where he and his congregation would be martyred, Justin said, remember, brothers and sisters, they can kill us, but they can't hurt us. Such is the devotion that you and I should display in our lives. Verse 39, and all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised, because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, there would not, they would not be made perfect. Faith enables us to look to the future. The Hebrews 11 faithful never saw the actual coming of the Messiah. But even though they didn't receive the total fulfillment of God's promises, they knew that God would reward them if they had faith. If the Old Testament faithful could believe, not seeing Christ, knowing only shadows and not the reality, not seeing with anything like the clarity which, with, with which we see the purchase price of our redemption at the cross, then how much more faith ought we be able to have than they? We who are called by Christ's very name. John Calvin said at one point, a tiny spark of light led them to heaven. But now that the sun of righteousness shines on us, what excuse shall we have if we still cling to the earth? Being provided with something better, verse 40, is the key to the whole book of Hebrews, which speaks of better things in Christ. Recall, a better plan, a better priest, a better covenant, a better sacrifice, better blood, a better home forever. But what does it mean there in verse 40 that apart from us, these Old Testament believers would not be made perfect? Not until our time, the time of Christianity, could their salvation be completed or perfected. Until Jesus' atoning work on the cross was accomplished, no salvation was complete, no matter how much faith an Old Testament believer may have had. It's not as though we do something to get them saved. If that's apart, it's that apart from us, or 
before our time, before the new covenant era, they could not be perfected. That required Christ's coming and dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Faith is possible for all kinds of believers in all kinds of situations. It's not the luxury of a few elite saints. It's the necessity for all of God's people. Faith has a variety of outcomes, sometimes positive. The Israelites passed through the Red Sea. The walls of Jericho fell. Those widows received back their dead from the grave. But sometimes faith's outcomes in this life are negative, as the world judges negative. Abel was murdered. Many tortured, beaten, and ill-treated. Many killed. People of faith often don't see the results in this life. But faith is always rewarded by God. The visitor center at the Gettysburg battlefield portrays a panorama depicting what took place there. It's a circular thing wherein one can stand within it and view the entire drama of the days-long battle that took place in Gettysburg during the Civil War. Well, I want to suggest in our text today, Paul has done something very similar. Here in Hebrews 11, we stand within biblical history among the heroes of faith, and we see what faith brings and what faith can do. What the Apostle John said at the end of his first epistle is more than a fitting inscription. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5 and verse 4. So as we conclude now Hebrews 11, I see four important conclusions about faith that I think are worth emphasizing again. The first is... What matters is not the circumstances in which we find ourselves. What matters is our faith in God. It's obvious from the example set before us that being a Christian does not guarantee comfort and ease in this life. The prosperity gospel so popular today misses this badly. Yes, God delivers some of his children, children from some trouble sometimes. But others, many others, God delivers in trouble. Elijah was spared the wrath of King Ahab, but plenty of other godly prophets died by the sword. 1 Kings 19, verse 10. Jeremiah escaped King Jehoiakim's hatred but his fellow prophet, Uriah, did not escape. God sent an angel to break Peter's chains, but he allowed James, one of Christ's three closest disciples, to die at Herod's command. So understand that God may place any of us on either of the two sides of this record. On the side of those who conquered in success, or on the side of those who conquered in defeat. What matters is not the circumstances, neither the blessing in this life, nor the trials. What matters is the faith in which we may conquer 
in all circumstances through the blood of Christ. Second, faith in Christ suffices while we wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. Many blessings come to those who know the Lord in this life. And yet the great point of Hebrews 11 is the one found in verse 39. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. That was partly because the promises of God are beyond what can be received in this mortal existence. It is not in the flesh, but in glory, where we will be fit to receive so much that God has for us that we are not fit to receive here and now. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9. We are encouraged in our faith knowing that just ahead lies an eternal weight of glory. Beyond the cross there awaits a crown. What do we have while we wait? What do we have while we wait often in great difficulty is the waiting. Well, faith is sufficient for the man or woman of God because faith perceives, faith sees, and makes real that which is as yet unseen. Third point, times of trial especially demand faith. The original recipients of Hebrews, the letter, certainly included those who were tempted to fall back from Christ because of persecution. Only those who stood firm in faith, even in hardship, were joined to the honor roll of salvation in chapter 11. God's very purpose in our trials is to test and try our faith, burning away whatever dross is in us so that what is left is pure and glorious to God. As Jonathan Edwards said, the divine excellency of real Christianity is never exhibited with such advantage as when under the greatest trials. Then it is what true that then it is that true faith appears much more precious than gold. In trials we are encouraged by the knowledge of Christ's sufferings for us and by the unbreakable bond created with him through our faith. That's why Paul could write elsewhere, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, all of which have been experienced by literally millions of Christians? Just as it is written, Paul went on, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Romans 8, 35 to 37. And fourth and finally, let us remember that in the end, when all else is gone, what will matter is our faith. It is only through faith that we are saved. You reflect on the names in Hebrews 11 and you think of the great variety among them. Some were Jews, some were not. Some were rich, 
Others were poor. Some were men, some were women. Some were loved, some were hated. Some were successful, some were not. What is it that then puts their names in the list of God's beloved? Just one thing, faith. Someday we'll look back and see how insignificant are so many things that you and I think so important now. Our clothes, our cars, our houses, our reputations. With faith, we have Christ and his cross by his grace, the forgiveness of sin and life everlasting. What matters more than these? Without faith in Christ, we'd be left to perish with the useless things of the world. So are you rich or poor or popular or despised, famous or unknown, looked up to or looked down upon? What does any of it matter compared to faith in Christ? Labor for the eternal treasure through faith, which is above all else precious, because in faith your soul is saved. 20th century martyr Jim Elliot was so right when he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let's pray. Father, our relationship to you is a relationship of trust, is a relationship of faith, which we are often weak in, but we trust you. And we know that in you, what may come in this life is of small importance to be in right relationship with you. For what you have for us in the future is unimaginably great and will dwarf all memory of what we must go through now. Help us, no matter what our circumstances, to be faithful to you. Strengthen us that we may give clear voice to your gospel, to your truth, to your goodness, to your glory. And may those of the world see that whether we are protected, it is being protected by you, or whether we are not, we still trust in you, for you are what matters, and you make all the difference. May we exhibit that in our lives, we pray in Christ. Amen. Rise, if you will, for the benediction. Live by faith. Live in this faith in Jesus. And you will be blessed forever and ever. Depart in his peace. Amen.